I'll take an offering in a minute, in a little while, or, or we can just you can just drop it in on the way out. I don't know. I wanted to build on what the Holy Spirit just said a while ago. I, I wanted I wanted to build on that. So if you would open your Bibles with me, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a passage that I, I referred to this morning, but I didn't read it, and I, it looks like I got the first guy's name wrong. But anyway, that's that's what you get for going from my memory. But anyway, turn with me if you would to Second Samuel chapter 23. Second Samuel chapter 23. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, although I probably should, but I'm not going to. Um, but let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 23. Stand with me if you would for the reading in honor of the reading of God's word. And we're going to start with 2 Samuel 23 verse 8. <clears throat> and he said, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The first one is called the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The name was Adino the Ezanite, and he lifted up his spear against 800, and he slew at one time. And after him was, I got this one right, Eleazar, the son of Dodo. How can you forget that? One of the three mighty men with David, uh, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, and he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand claved to the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and only the people on return to the spoil. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite, and the Philistines were gathered together in a troop that was where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. The three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephidim. And David was there in the hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was there, was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well at Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink but thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord, and said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that, this, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men? that went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. The rest of this chapter outlines the men that were closest to David, but I want to spend just a minute and talk about these three. So, Heavenly Father, thank you, Almighty God, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. And now I pray that you would lead me and guide me, O God. And, Father God, may my words tonight, God, not be spoken, Lord God, just to our ears, Lord God, but may we hear it in our spirit, Father. May your anointing burn in our soul, Lord God. May, may we see, Almighty God, the order, the thing, O oh God, that you have desired for us to see tonight, O oh God. I give you praise for it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as I told you this morning, David, whenever he was running from Saul, he gathered and amassed about 600 men that followed him around that were his mighty men and they were with him throughout his whole his whole kingship he was a king for um, 30 years 10 years in judah and 20 years in J jerusalem so for 30 years he was the, the king and uh, he had these group of men around him the whole time that basically began with him when he was running from saul and so these men have been with him he knows these men Th these are these are not men that are strange to him these are not men that are strange to david 
They, they've fellowshiped together. They've, they've eaten together. They've drank together. They've, they've battled together. They've warred together. They've rescued each other. If you keep reading, you'll find out that some of these mighty men rescued David in battle. Whenever one of Goliath's brothers had David hemmed up, one of them came and rescued him. And so these guys, they're, they're intimate with each other. They know each other. They've worked for each other. And, and what, what, what I want to focus on tonight is what the Holy Spirit said, and that is this. You know, if we're going to be intimate with God, and if we're going to know God, and God's going to know us, then we have to be willing, just like these mighty men were, sometimes to step out of our comfort zone and to begin to do things that God's given us to do without worrying about the outcome or what anybody else is going to say about it. You know, this, this guy that took up this spear against 800, I promise you this isn't the first time he picked up a spear. He didn't just walk over there and say, oh, what is this? How does this work? Well, let me go out there and stand by myself with 800 guys. He didn't start there, you know. He started there kind of probably in the back of the, of the group, fighting his first battle, probably got sick to his stomach, probably threw up before he went into it, got in the battle, fought it, found out he was, you know, pretty good with a spear. He, he was better with that than he was with a sword. So that, that kind of became his weapon of choice. And, and he went through battle after battle with David. And he ran with David. And he was at the cave with David. And, and he found out that he trusted David. And so over time, they began to, to form this relationship. And, and every time they got into a scrape, he always wanted to be beside David. And he was fighting beside David. And one day he got into a deal. And I would imagine, I don't know the details of the story, but how these stories normally go, I would imagine that they started out as a big group. And then all of a sudden he figured out he's all by himself. Isn't that how it usually happens? Oh, man, we're going to go, we're going to go door to door. We're going to win the world for the Lord. And, and then you come up here to go, and guess who else shows up? Nobody. You're by yourself. The Lord's laid something on your heart, but you're by yourself. One time and long time ago, I was at church on a Sunday night, and, and uh, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go to Prince Hall Villa in Silsby. Are y'all familiar with Prince Hall Villa in Silsby? You know, you know what that is? That's, it's, a, it's a government, it used to be government housing out there, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to go out there. And, and so uh, I talked to a couple of friends that, that were friends of mine that we had done this kind of stuff before, and they said, oh, yeah, we'll go with, we'll meet you, brother. Saturday morning, we'll be there, we'll, we'll be there. And, and I got up that morning, and we had a cold front blow in, and it was cold, and it was, it was kind of raining, mist and rain a little bit, and and I got up, and I looked out the window, and I said, man, alive, the weather doesn't look too good to be going door to door in Prince Hall Villa. So I, I sat there, and, and it wasn't but just a few minutes, and I got a phone call from a, one guy supposed to go. He says, man, I, I tell you what, I got up this morning, and it's kind of cold out there, and I'm not feeling too good, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. I said, well, okay, I'm under And then and a minute later, the other one called me. Hey, I'm not going. I'm not going to be able to make it this morning. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. It's cold and doesn't weather doesn't look good. You think we ought to, we probably shouldn't be out there? We're going to end up getting sick. Let's let's I, we'll go next weekend. I said, okay, that's fine. So I hung up and I said, whoo, I'm off the hook. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not off the hook. I told you to go today. I didn't tell you to go ask anybody else. I told you to go today. So I loaded up my lazy carcass I got in that car and I drove over to Prince Hall Villa and I started knocking doors the power of God started moving and next thing I knew they were standing on the street wanting to talk to me I was shaking hands praying for them 
Helped one lady with the groceries. The Lord just, just started moving. People started coming out. It was cold. They were wrapped up. It didn't matter. God was touching them. God was ministering to them. God was moving in their lives. And I tell you what, I didn't go out there because everybody else was going. I went out there because God told me to go. And I may not have had anybody with me, and I may have felt kind of awkward at first, and I may have wondered, what in the world am I doing out here? I don't have any business out here. But I was out there, and I know God touched him, and I know God did a great thing because on the way back, the, whole, the devil got on my shoulder and said, well, now you've done it. Now you've done it. Now they're going to start coming over to your church. They're going to start being at their church now. They're going to start asking people for money. Now you've done it. Look, wait and see what happened now that you've done all that. And I worried about it. I said, oh, no, what am I doing? Isn't that dumb? Wasn't that a stupid thing to think? Because the Holy Spirit grabbed me that fast, and I said, hang on a minute. I went over there in the will of God. I did what God gave me to do, and if they show up at my church, then praise God, that's what I wanted anyway. But I had to step out on my own and do it. God didn't put me in a pulpit one morning, and I just got up and said, well, I always wanted to be one. This looks like a good time. I think I could do it. First time I preached a sermon, I'm telling you, the church that asked us to take over for a few weeks because their pastor was sick, they didn't ask because I was a great preacher. They asked because I had a wife that played a piano. They've been singing acapulco for a long time. And whenever they found out I was available, they said, hey, would you come and preach for us? I said, well, I was so proud. Yeah, I sure will, praise God. They said, your wife plays, doesn't she? <laughs> well, yes, she does. And when I stood in that pulpit, I, I understood why. My first sermon was, I thought, you, I thought it would be like a Sunday school lesson. It's not nothing like teaching a Sunday school lesson. And I flumped, flustered and flubbered and, and, and danced and said everything I could say and, and sat down and got out there and decided I couldn't be a preacher because I didn't think I could do it. But I, I came back the next week, and I came back that Wednesday night, and I came back the next week, and Kathy played, and she kept us in there. <laughs> but 10 months later 10 months later I could put together a sermon that lasted more than 8 minutes I could preach under the anointing of the power of God I didn't feel like an idiot up there anymore I felt like I was doing something for the Lord but it didn't happen the first time I tried I'm telling you what is his name Adino he didn't kill 800 men the first time he went out he worked up to it. He gathered his courage. He gathered his strength. He learned that the Lord was with him. And whenever he learned that by trial and error, whenever he learned that by God rescuing him, who <laughs> well, my God, when he learned that, then he could stand against 800 and said, the Lord is for me. Who can be against me? Come on, I'll stand in the face of these uncircumcised Philistines and the Lord will give me a victory. We think one morning we're going to get up and God just sort of. I lifted weights in high school like everybody else did. I never was a strong guy. I never was like some of these guys here. You know, nobody ever stood around and watched me do a bench press unless they were spotting me while I picked up my 85 pounds. Nobody ever stood around and watched me lift a bunch of weight. But I did work out and I, did, I could do a little bit. And I remember after I'd been out of school about five or six or seven years, 
one time I decided I needed to get back in the game, you know, I'm getting kind of belly on me and all that stuff. So I decided I need to start going back to the health club. So I signed up up there in Sealsby in the health club when it was downtown. And I went in there and met a guy named Jay. And he's going to show me all these, how to do these exercises, these weights. And he asked me, you ever lift weights before? Oh, yeah, I did in high school. Okay, well, this isn't, it hadn't changed. Still the same. You know, we're going to start over here on the incline bench press. So I got on that incline bench press. You know what an incline bench press is? You know, a regular bench press, you lay on your back and you do like this. Well, the incline bench press is just what it says. It kind of inclines you a little bit, so you're using a different set of muscles. So I got on the incline bench press, and he put a bar up there, and he put two weights on it, two five-pound weights. So I got 10 on each side, so I got 20 pounds plus the bar. Took it off the, the standard and about broke my chest. Boom. Oh, man. I'm doing this. He finally helps me get it back on. He takes 10 pounds off of it, five on each side. He said, now try it. <laughs> Grabs it, puts it back down. Takes all the weight off of it. I've got the bar. Quit laughing, Zach, it ain't funny. You either, Sam. I see you looking at the ground. I've got the bar. That's it, the bar. And I did eight of them. The eighth one was hard. But I finally did it. And he said, it'll get easier. It did not. You know why it did not? Because I didn't go back to that one. <coughs> huh? I didn't want... I didn't go back. <clears throat> I went to something I could do better to where I wasn't a laughing stock with everybody saying, look at that guy. He's just doing the bar. <laughs> oh, my God. And sometimes when the Lord calls you to do something and you think you're going to do something great for the Lord, you may find out that you're not ready either. You may find out that you hadn't prepared either. You may find out that all you can do is the bar. And if you just do the bar, and that's all you do, and you say, well, I, that didn't go well, I'm not going to do anything like that again because I got embarrassed, and I'm not going to try that again. You get up here and sing one Sunday because you feel like the God's called you to sing. I find out about it. I call you, and I say, hey, you want to sing on Sunday morning or Sunday night? And you say, oh, yes, sir. Lord, I feel like the Lord's called me to do it. You get up here, and the CD messes up. And you can't hear out of the monitors, and your voice squeaks and cracks and pops, and you forget the words. By the way, if you ever forget the words in a Pentecostal church, just close your eyes and lift your hands. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> we'll all rejoice with you, and then you, when the words come back, you can go again. <clears throat> Think I'm joking? <laughs> I'm joking. If Mike ever forgets the words he does that, he just keeps playing and does this. Soon as he, yeah, I make them up. But you get up there and it's a disaster. It's a disaster. And you're embarrassed and you come off of that thing and you're red-faced. You forgot the words. You, you, the music messed up. Couldn't hear. You went flat about five times and you knew it. 
and you go in and you sit down, and what's the first thing you say? I ain't never doing that again. I ain't getting up there making a fool of myself again. Well, I thought God called you to sing. You can't quit just because it went wrong the first time. You can't stop lifting on the incline bench press just because all you could do was the bar. It will get better. You will get stronger. But you got to keep coming back to that thing that you couldn't do. You, if you pick the things you're extremely good at and that's all you do, then you're not ever going to get better. you got to go to the thing. God, God, God's not going to ever try to use you in something you can do without him. I said, God's not ever going to promote you in something you can do without him. I've tried to preach without him. I can tell you it was a disaster. I've tried, I've tried to get up there and preach sermons that I thought sounded really good, and I can tell you they weren't good. But I learned that if I wait for him and if I let him lead me and if I put myself out there and say, okay, God, this is yours. If it flops, it flops, but it's going to flop with your anointing on it. I preached some that were bad, but I tell you what, some of my best altar services have been from sermons that I thought were terrible. Why? Because it's not dependent upon me anymore. It's dependent upon the power of God. And how did I get here? I got here by coming each week and trying and pushing and pressing and leaving out of here sometimes discouraged and sometimes encouraged, but keep lifting the bar. Keep lifting the bar. If God's called you to sing and it's a disaster, then practice more next time. Practice more next time. Put some effort into it. Start trying putting five pounds on the bar. And if you can't lift it, then take it back off. But next time, try it again. Keep doing it. Keep pressing. Keep pushing. Because God has a plan for you, but you won't get to that plan to conquer 800 Philistines or to be able to fight for a field until your hand cleaves to your sword. That's not going to happen until you learn how to kill bears and lions. David didn't start with Goliath. I said David didn't start with Goliath. David started with a bear out in the middle of a field that nobody knew he killed. Oh, he might have told his dad. They might have high-fived. But nobody else cared. His brothers never mentioned it. David didn't mention it till he's talking to Saul. You're going to start with a lion, a tiger, and a bear. Oh, my. You're going to start with a lion. You may start with a bear. You may start with something that's seemingly insignificant, like going and knocking doors at a place where nobody knows you went or, or, or praying for somebody that nobody knows you prayed for or taking some moment at somebody with somebody in the gas pump that comes and talks to you and you pray for them. You may, you may do that and God may get you comfortable with that and then one day, one day, somebody's going to come to you at a gas pump and start, start telling you a story and you're going to turn to them and all of a sudden the power of God's going to come down on you and you're going to lay your hands on them and they're going to say, my God, what has happened? What was that? We went to a place, I, I prayed for a bunch of people on the street, I've, I've done that but I'm telling you one time we went to Houston Kathy wanted to go to the downtown Macy's when it was still a downtown Macy's so we drove down there on a Saturday morning and whenever I parked the car, when my, I'd let her out at the door and when I parked the car, when that door slammed, when that thing slammed, out of every alley there was in downtown Houston there walked a mass of people they were all, they'd all spent the night on the street 
and they heard that door slam and buddy it was it was it was uh, it was like vultures with a deer out here on the side of the road and the first guy that got to me was a guy named Donald and he got to me and he said I, man I've been out all night I'm hungry and started telling me his story and I said Donald I hate to tell you this buddy but I just put my last two dollars in this meter here I don't have any money I said, all I can do is pray for you. He said, well, that, that'll do, that'll do. I laid my hands on him, and I'll tell you what, I felt the power of God. He, he kind of buckled a little bit as the Holy Ghost moved upon him, and I prayed for him, and when I finished, there was tears in his eyes, and he looked at me. He said, wow, that was, that was pretty powerful. I said, yeah. How about that? God is good. Yes, God is good. And he wants you. He's speaking to you. He's touching you. He's ministering to you. Oh, that, that didn't happen the first time. And it doesn't happen every time. But I'm telling you, you got to be out there to give the Lord an opportunity for him to use you. And you got to be able to be used in the small things before you're ever going to get to the big stuff. A couple of chapters back, if you come back over here, about chapter 18. There's a story here. Let me read to you real quick. 18, um, Joab is pursuing after David's rebellious son named Absalom. And we find here, he said uh, on, in verse 15, it says, and uh, the 10, uh, verse 14, it says, then David said, I may, then, then said Joab, I may not tarry with, with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And 10 men that bear at Joab's uh, armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him and Joab blew the trumpet in verse 16 if you're following me and the people returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held the people back and they took Absalom and cast him in a great pit uh, in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled everyone to his tent and uh, let's, let's go down here to uh, verse um, verse 19 it says then Ahim and, and Hamaz, Ahimaz, Ahimaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and bear the king's tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but you'll do it another day. For this day you'll bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab turned to Cushi and said, and Go tell the king what thou seen. And Cushi bowed himself and ran. Then said Ahimaz, the son of Zadok said again, but how so let me, I pray, run after Cushy. Joab said, wherefore will you run, seeing you have no tidings? However, he says, let me run. And he said, run. And Ahimenez ran in the plain and overran Cushy. Let me see. I missed something up here at the top. So, um. So Ahimaz, Ahimaz, he wants to run and tell the king this news about the battle. But Joab doesn't want him to run because it, there's bad news. So he turns to a guy named Cushy. Now, if you look that word Cushy up, it means, it means dark. So Cushy was uh, a little more dark-complected than Absalom or Ahimaz. And you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, it makes a difference because as the king was looking across the field, he could tell if it was good news or bad news by the person that was coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if the guy was a little bit darker skinned, he knew that there was some bad news involved. If he was lighter skinned, it was like running a flag up, you know. I mean, this, they can see this guy quite a ways off. So it gives the king some idea of how the battle's going. So Ahimenez wants to run 
But he wants, Joab wants to send Cushy. Ahimenaz makes a big deal out of it. So he finally says, well, run. So Ahimenaz passes Cushy along the way. Are you with me? Did I confuse you there? Okay, let's, let's go down a little bit further. And, and the watchman cried and said, if he be alone, there's tidings in his mouth. Keep coming down here. Uh, okay, here it is, 27. And the watchman said, the, me thinks the one running in the foremost is Ahimenaz. And the king says what? He's a good man and cometh with good tidings. So the king sees him and he says, oh, okay, a white flag's up, that's, that's good. So he's got good tidings. And Ahimenaz called and said unto the king, all is well. And he fell on the earth. Blessed be the Lord God that delivered the men up, that lived their hand against the, against the Lord the king. 29, he says, is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimaz answered, when Joab sent the servant, when Joab sent the king's servant and me, the, thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. Did he not know what it was? He, he did know what it was because he watched him kill him. He watched him bury him. He watched him put a big bunch of stones over him. He knew what it was, but he couldn't answer the king. So then Cushy shows up here, and behold, Cushy came in verse 31, tidings to my lord the king, the lord has avenged thee of this day. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushy said, the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, may they be as that young man is. So, so here's my point. What kind of news did Ahimenaz normally deliver? Good news. They only sent him with happy news. He was a guy that when they saw him coming, they said, oh, this is going to be a good, this is a good news because Ahimenaz is the runner, so it's going to be, and even the king says, he's a good man, he's bringing good tidings. And so when it came time for Ahimenaz to develop and give some bad news, what was his result? He couldn't do it. He said, oh, I don't know. Me, I don't know. Somebody, somebody did something. I don't know what they were doing. Somebody was doing something. I don't know. He knew what was going on. He knew Absalom was dead. He knew those things. But he wasn't used to delivering bad news, and he couldn't say what he needed to say to the king. So Cushy was sent because Cushy was the one that normally delivered bad news. Have you ever had to go to somebody's house and tell them that somebody had died? We went to a house one morning. We got a phone call. Such such son had been killed in a car wreck. And we went down there. And, and some of the kids were out spending the night with other people and they didn't know. And the mother said, I need to let my kids know. Brother Scott, would you go tell them? Um, I, I guess I will, I guess. And I had to drive down to Nederland and I had to knock on the door and wake a bunch of people up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning so that I could get that one child. And when that child came out, I had to tell him, your brother's been killed in an accident. And I want to tell you, that's a hard message to deliver. And, and, and if you've never delivered it and you've never done it, but, the, but I was able to do it because the Lord had given me strength. You see, all these guys, Eleazar, the son of Dodo, all of these guys, uh, Shama, Shama, they were able to do these things because the Holy Spirit had brought them along and worked with them. There's an old song that used to say, uh, I'm going to get beside of myself when I get beside of myself in glory. 
I'm going to get carried away when I get carried away. Oh, when I'm down here on the earth, I can't seem to raise, if you've ever listened to the song, down here on the earth, I couldn't never seem to shout, I couldn't raise my hand, I couldn't say hallelujah, couldn't say, but man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to dance a jig. Well, that's not any good. You need to learn how to let the Lord use you here. You need to crucify the flesh and lift your hands here. You need to crucify the flesh and say amen once in a while here. You need to let the Lord use you here. You need to let the Lord maybe cause you to be able to pray for somebody here. If you can't come down here and pray for somebody that needs prayer down here, how do you think you're going to do it in the street? How do you think you're going to be a mighty warrior out there when you can't even do it in here? Because God builds you from victory to victory to victory, from glory to glory to glory. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if somebody came in here tonight and they gathered people up and they were going to shoot us out in the parking lot, I'm, I'm not sure right at this particular moment that, that I would be willing to put my hands behind my back and get on my knees and let me take one in the head. I'm not sure I would. But I can tell you this. I'm confident in God. I'm confident in the power of the Holy Spirit that if that did happen, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit would rise up within me and I would be able to stand in the midst of an adversity because God has taught me how to stand. Hallelujah. He's taught me how to crucify the flesh. He's taught me how to live on the power of the Holy Spirit. He's taught me that he'll supply my needs. He's taught me that he'll give me strength. He's taught me that he's given me courage. And so I'm not afraid of, of failing God in that because I've been through a troop and leaped over a wall and seen God supply my needs and seen God touch and move and minister and heal and if he can do those things he can carry me the last mile of the way but it's because I know him by experience and not by word are you with me if we're going to do the works of God then you've got to do the works of God you can't think suddenly God's going to call you to come up here and raise the dead if you've never even prayed for anybody that's had a cold. I said you can't expect to think that God's going to call you up here to pray for somebody and raise the dead if you never even prayed for anybody. Oh, I'm going to be great. I'm going to do strong things. I'm going to do exploits. And I'm going to tell you, when you get there, you ain't going to be able to get the bar off the inclined bench press. You're going to be like a Jimenez. Oh, the spirit is willing. You remember Peter? Jesus told Peter, watch him pray. Peter watched him pray at the back of his eyelids. Three times Jesus said, wake up, boy. Third time he said, sleep on. Day's done. He'd already told Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And he told Peter, pray that you enter not into temptation. And here's Peter He's got a sword. He's going to kill them all. And he got out there and swung at the first guy and missed him. Only got his ear. Jesus healed him, told Peter to put up his sword. All the adrenaline's gone now. We got a big, tough, rough fisherman, a man's man, a strong guy, a guy who's going to stand for Jesus, a guy he says that I'll die with you. And he gets in there in that first place with the council, not even the whole Sanhedrin, but about 15 members of the council. He gets in there, and the little girl that's opening the door says, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, not me. Oh, no, not me. Little servant girl scared Peter to death. Couldn't even stand in the face of a servant girl. 
Why? Because he hadn't proven, he hadn't done what God had given him to do. He had watched Jesus doing it. He had been a part of what was going on. But, but he hadn't spent that time to let the Holy Spirit rise up in him to where he had strength. Now, if you watch Peter at the end, he says, I'm fixing to put off my tabernacle. And there's no fear in his story because he's allowed the Holy Spirit to give him strength. So what am I telling you tonight? I'm telling you this. If you'll be faithful in the little things, then God will promote you to the bigger things. Kathy didn't get her house built that we testified this morning. It didn't happen in the first three months God told her it was going to happen. It didn't even happen in the first year. It didn't even happen in the second year. She put a house, she said this morning in her testimony, she put a house on the Christmas tree in faith. Didn't happen then either. But she kept building her faith. She kept calling those things that are not as though they were. And she kept coming to church. She kept making herself available. She kept praying for people. She kept being a part. And every time that you come here and every time that you involve yourself and every time that you make yourself available and every time that you press and every time that you push and you're not simply a hearer of the word, but you're a doer of the word, you find that God gives you a little more strength. Mike Tanton didn't start leading worship the first time he walked up there and slammed on a guitar. I imagine the first time he went up there, he thought, what am I doing here? I got no business here. I don't want to be in front of all these people. I don't want to leave. I don't even, I don't even, I just know a few chords. I'm not interested in this. I, what am I doing up here? What am I doing up here? He told the story about one time he led worship and it didn't go well. And he went back to his house and he was upset about some things that had happened that day. And he went out there and started walking down the road. And as he was walking down the road praying, he said, Lord God, I'm, 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 not, I'm not doing that no more. I'm not going to be a part of that. That's a, that's, a, that's a sinking ship up there. And the Lord said, oh, yeah, you're going to be a part of it. He said, Lord, it's a sinking ship. He'll say, well, I guess you'll go down with the ship, won't you? And he stayed faithful to what God had called him to do. Even though it may not have been pleasant, even though it may not have been fun, even though he may not have felt like he was the best one up there, even though he didn't, he didn't always feel like it, was, like it was good, he stayed up there and he kept playing and he kept staying consistent and he kept doing what the Lord gave him to do and eventually the Lord promoted him. But you can't get promoted to a sergeant if you can't perform as a corporal. And you can't make a corporal if you can't do what you're supposed to do as a private. And you're never going to make a general or a leader or someone God can use until you can prove that you can function at a certain level. Are you hearing me? Then what's this about tonight, Pastor? It's about making yourself available. It's about knowing that you will reap that you should addict yourself to the ministry that God has given you. And if the first time you sing it crashes and burns, then the next time I call you, don't tell me you got a sore throat. Or better than that, oh, here we go. I'm fixing the metal now. Are you ready? Better than that, don't call me on a Sunday morning and say, ah, my throat's a little scratchy. Because I'm going to tell you, okay, well, thank you very much for calling me. But inside, I'm going to say, I don't care. I'm not going to tell you that. 
But inside, I'm going to think, I don't care. Unless you're prone in a hospital bed with an IV in your arm, you should be up here singing if you told me you could do it. <laughs> what do you think about that? If you tell me you're available, don't tell me on Sunday morning that you don't think you can because your throat's scratchy or because your ear hurts or because you hurt your finger yesterday with a hangnail. Oh, you think I'm joking. If God gave you something to do, then get your lazy carcass up there and get it done. Don't give me your excuses. Don't tell me your head stuffed up. Sing with your head stuffed up. God will unstop it. Get up there and do what God's given you to do. If God's given you to, a job to support one of the leaders or to support the men's ministry or be a part of the women's ministry and come along Misty and Sarah and, and Nancy and support them, don't call them the night you're supposed to do something and tell them you can't make it. Get up and go do it. Why? Because that's what a soldier does. That's what a man of God or a woman of God does. We press through adversity. We press through bad information. We press through bad feelings. We press through those things. We don't call in. We crawl in to accomplish the work of God. Because if you never learn to battle, you'll never be a soldier. And if you want to see God use you in great and mighty things, then you've got to be faithful in the small things. I know I've told you this story, and I'm going to end right here, I think. But I know I've told you this. I know I have, but it fits right here. And I've only got a limited number of stories, so some of them you've got to hear twice. When I was 16 years old, I w we had a bus ministry at the church where, I, where Kathy and I went. And we decided we wanted to be bus captains. Back in those days, you could drive a bus with just a regular Texas driver's license. So I went to the guy that was the bus captain, and I told him, I said, I want to I drive a bus on Sunday morning. He said, okay, you'll have to meet me up here at 8.15, and then we'll run the bus route, and you'll pick up all the kids and bring them in, and then after church, you know, you take them back. Well, I don't know if you know it or not, but I'm not too good at getting up in the mornings. I'm not real thrilled about it most mornings. And so as a 16-year-old, the first week, week we did it, and that alarm went off at 7.30, and it was Sunday morning. And I said, oh, my word, 7.30 in the morning on Sunday? I can't do this. So I called in, 385-9387. I know his number. 385-9387. Brother Gerald, I'm sick. I'm not going to be able to make it. He said, okay, all right, well, you know, I hope you get feeling better. Hung up. Went the next Sunday, drove the bus, did my, did my business, me and Kathy. Then the next Sunday woke up, man, we, I'd stayed out probably too late with a certain young lady and uh, woke up and man, I was, I was not feeling good. So I called Brother Gerald and I said, Brother Gerald, 385-9387, Brother Gerald, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Okay. So he met me at church that morning and you know what he told me? If I can't depend on you, I don't use you. If I can't depend on you, then I can't use you because whenever you call in, then that leaves me a bus route short. So I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you want to do this. Then I, I don't care how you're feeling. I, I, I mean, I do care, but I don't care. I need you up here driving a bus, not calling me at 730 in the morning telling me you're not going to make it. And I said, yes, sir. And I didn't miss anymore. I didn't always feel good, but I showed up. 
And I drove that bus and we delivered those kids in the afternoon. And I don't know how many years we drove those buses and delivered those kids. But one of the kids I picked up was Martha Jordan. She was a Nazarenek then. And I picked her up. Week after week, I picked her up. And, and we got to be, I got to be friends with that five-year-old. Back in those days, they didn't have seat belts. I used to let Martha sit beside me on the little, little, little console there while I drove the bus. Two years old, Kathy said. And, and she stayed, and we drove that bus and drove that bus and drove that bus. And years later, she, she preached. And when she preached, she talked about that God touched her heart because I picked her up on a bus. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're planning on God doing something through your life, then you got to make yourself available. You're not going to run through a troop and leap over a wall if you never try. You've got to be willing to get out there. And if God gives you just to bring a cup of cold water to somebody, you've got to be willing to do it and not say, well, that's, nobody's going to notice that. That's not the point. The point is you've got to learn how to act like a private before you can be a corporal. And before you can be a sergeant, you've got to be successful as a corporate corporal. And if you do good, maybe God will support, raise you up to a lieutenant one day. But you're never going to get out of, the, out of there until you learn you can do the small things that God gives you to do. There's no way those three guys. There's one other thing I want to tell you real quick. I know I said I was going to quit. But I want to tell you one more thing. How many people, think about this, how many people heard David say, oh, that I had a drink of water from, a, from the well that's in Bethlehem? How, how many, well, well, let's think about this. How many people, David didn't announce it, doesn't say that he, he shouted out to the crew. He just said, oh, that I had a drink of water from the well that's at Bethlehem. Now, if I was talking to Kathy down here and I said, man, I wish I had a drink of water from the well that's in Bethlehem, how many people is going to hear me say that if I'm not going to have this on? Only the people that are closest to me. Only the people that are closest to me are going to hear what I'm saying. Only the people that are closest to me. And I want to submit to you tonight, now you can study this and see if I'm wrong. I, I don't think I am, but if, but if I am, I'll, I'll, I'll confess but I think those three guys are the only three that heard David say what he said. And I think those three guys heard that because they were close to David. They stayed close to him. They made sure they heard what he was saying. They, they made sure they knew they were a part of what he was doing. They had his mind and his, I mean, we're, they're fixing to go into battle. They're fixing to go against the Philistines. They're fixing to fight a fight. The Philistines have spread themselves down there. And the only people that are going to be close to David are his closest friends the guys that he can trust, the guys that he knows have his back, the guys that he knows are going are gonna to do their best to protect him, to keep him, to move the battle forward, the ones that he has the most confidence in, those are the ones he, got, he has around him. And those three guys heard David say, oh, that I had a drink of water. And one of them said to the other, well, let's get him a drink of water. They didn't say, hmm, that looks bad. I don't think we can get there. They said, Let's go get him some water. And those three broke through the lines of their enemy 
drew a pitcher of water out of a well and fought their way all the way back because David said, oh, that I had a glass of water from a well in Bethlehem. Here's my point. If you're going to hear what God is saying, you're going to have to be close enough to God to hear him. Jesus never missed when he prayed for somebody. When he prayed for blind eyes to be opened, there's only one time in the Bible that I know of where he prayed twice. And that, there's a, the only reason that happened was because there's a lesson there. But every time Jesus prayed for somebody, they got healed. Every time Jesus got in a situation, he made the right decision. Every time they tried to cross him up, he gave the right words. Why was that? Because he was, had his head Listen to the Father, and he said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I don't go anywhere he doesn't tell me to go. I don't say anything he doesn't tell me to say. He had his ear so tuned to what the Father was saying. And all I want to tell you tonight is if we're going to be great and do exploits and do what God's given us to do, then we have to be close enough to Christ to hear what he's saying. I'm done. Could I get you praise team guys to come back up here, please, for just a moment? You know, one of the great things about VBS at Oak Grove is that we normally have as many workers as we have kids. I don't know how many people Sarah's planned for, but she, she forgot. I hope she doesn't forget that the workers all eat too because I don't want to go hungry. I need my food. But, but here's my point. Here's my point. All of those 600 guys were in David's army. They were all there. But if you read that passage, there's only six of them that are mentioned as being close to David. The other 594 are mentioned, not, no, not all of them, but they're mentioned, and they're called David's mighty men. But there's six of them that were close to him. And the way they got close to him was by doing exploits so that, so that David knew who they were. He knew they were people that had been proven by battle. And, and what I want you to do tonight is I want you to stand with me for just a moment. And, and here's why I think the Lord had me preach this tonight. I think there's some of you in here tonight that God... God wants, God wants to up your pay grade. He's, he's, he's ready to move you from that position of a private to a corporal. Or he's ready to move you from a corporal to a sergeant. Or he's ready to move you. He wants to change your pay grade. But, but you're a little bit concerned about it because you say, well, I don't. You're saying, oh, God. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to be a missionary to Africa, and I know that if you call me, that's where I'm going. Well, you don't know that because you're obviously in no position to be promoted to that place, right? You're obviously in no position to be promoted there. Or you would say, yes, God, send me to Africa. I'll, do ex I'll go over there. Man, God, send me over there. But some of you tonight... You're a little bit tentative in taking that step where you're suddenly 
outside of your own comfort zone. I can tell you that when Sarah Haynes came here back 10 years ago or however many years, 11 years ago, I can tell you that in her mind was no thought that she would ever be used of the Lord in interpreting a, a, a tongues and interpretation. I can tell you that the concept of coming to a prayer meeting and letting God use her to pray over somebody was the very furthest thing from her mind. As a matter of fact, she probably thought, what am I doing here? But as she's allowed herself to grow and as she's changed her mind on some things and fortified her mind on other things and as she stepped forward and, and stepped out and said, I don't know, God, this is kind of scary, but I'm just going to let it fly. And as she's done that, she's gotten stronger and stronger and stronger and more able to move in the gifts of the Spirit and more able to do what God's given her to do. But she's not where she is today because she sat back there and did nothing. Do you hear me? She's there because she's allowed the Lord to step her out. She can always do VPS. VBS. She's always been able to do BBS. That's not a big deal. That's not stretching her, my opinion. She, she could do this with her eyes closed and both hands tied behind her back. She knows how to do BBS, but she didn't know how to do a lot of other things. And God has promoted her from being just that BBS person that she was totally within her comfort zone of doing to being the person that she is now where I'm sure sometimes she thinks, oh, my word, what did I just say? Am I right? But that didn't happen by her sticking to what she was comfortable with. It happened by her stepping out into what God has given her. And God wants some of you tonight to at least have a heart to say, God, if you give it to me, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try to pray for somebody. I'll try to come down to the front. Maybe it's I'll try to lift my hands and sing. I'll try, Lord God. Because you're never going to get to the place God wants you to be if you're not willing to try. So tonight, as Mike leads us, if you're, if you're saying, Lord, Isaiah's, Isaiah's words of bravery was, here am I, use me. That was his words of bravery. Here am I, use me. I, Jeremiah said, I'm not going to keep doing this because every time I do it, I just get in trouble. But the Holy Spirit welled up inside of him and he said, I cannot forbear. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. Now, he didn't start there because he started prophesying when he was a young man. Probably some people say as early as eight years old. I don't know, but that's what some people say. But this event occurred probably 10 years later when he was closer to 18, 16, 18. And he said, I'm, I'm quitting. But you know what? If he hadn't kept going, then whenever they threw him in a miry clay and they threw him in a well and they sent him down there to die, he wouldn't have been able to deliver the message that got him there if he hadn't started somewhere. You don't do great things for God and you don't do great things unless you start somewhere. Don't forget the days of little things. So tonight, if you say, God... I know you're moving on my heart to do some things and I, I need you to give me the strength to
to be able to put myself out there. And maybe it's something as simple as lifting your hands. Maybe it's something as simple as standing in the aisle maybe one time and, and just praising the Lord. Maybe God's called you sometimes to march around this building and you said, oh, no way, I'm not doing that. Do it. Do it. Why? Because you won't get anywhere else with God till you do what God's given you to do. So tonight, if you need a little strength, if you know the Lord's touched your heart to do great, to do some things for Him, but you're just a little tentative, then that's what this service is about. It's about you moving out of your comfort zone and about you not being fearful of what anybody is going to say. Because let me tell you something. Nobody's going to say nothing. Do you hear me? We all think people are going to say something if they see us. But I'll be honest with you. I very seldom have heard anybody say anything about anything. Nobody ever says, did you see them down there? I've never heard that. I don't think I've ever heard it. But we all, we all are convinced that everybody's talking about us. But I, I figured out that I'm not important enough for you to really talk about. So I'll just act a fool. And I'll have a good time doing it. If that's you tonight, then I want you to leave your seat and just come stand across the front. Is there anybody tonight that says, I want to. I just need God to give me a little strength. I just need God to give me a little direction. He's been very patient with you. But tonight, he's ready. It's your time, it's your season, it's your moment. So come stand right down here. It's your time, it's your season, it's your moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's your time, it's your season, it's your moment. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, God's probably been dealing with some of you to come down here and pray with people when they're at the front. And, and you've contented yourself by just standing back there and saying, well, Sister Kathy will be up there, or, or Brother Martin will be there, or, or somebody else will be there, and I'll just pray from here. Well, tonight is your moment. I hope you're very uncomfortable if you decide you're just going to pray from where you're at. Because we've got people down here that need prayer, that need somebody to come down there and pray with them. So if, if, you're, if you're in that season in your life where you know that God wants you to come down here and be a part of a prayer time, then I want you to leave your seat now and come down here and stand behind somebody. We've got plenty of opportunities. Plenty of opportunities. Leave your seat and come down here and stand behind somebody. something to stir in your spirit I want you to come down here with an expectation that whenever we lay I lay my hands on you that God is going to impart a strength in you that you don't currently have you're going to feel something stirring on the inside of you I believe that with all my heart 
that God brought you down here tonight to start to stir you up and move in your soul and move in your spirit. And you're going to feel the power of God as we pray tonight. Hallelujah. As he moves you from glory to glory. I want you to expect that tonight as we pray.
believe the Lord's done the work in some of your hearts tonight, ministered to you, touched you, promoted you, moved you forward. And I want to tell you, I'm expecting to hear great testimonies, good things of what God's done in your life. Thank you for being open and thank you for being willing. If you're still praying, you feel free to pray. But God bless you. We'll start VBS tomorrow night, Monday night. If you've got an offering, the plates are up here. Just drop by, drop by and drop it in the plate, and I'll take care of it. Make sure it gets to the right spot. But God bless you. Have a good evening, and uh, just enjoy the blessings of the Lord.